This is a crowd podcast. Just a quick word of warning before we begin from me and G. This episode features a Dutch writer who likes to swear a lot, so it might not be suitable for our younger listeners. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Tom, this is our penultimate episode. Episode 19 of 20, can't believe it. Yeah, I sort of feel simultaneously happy that we've done so many episodes, but also slightly sad, a little bit melancholy. Like, I know for you, when you get to Paris in the Tour de France, then generally it's a great feeling, partly because in the last two editions that you've raced, you've been in the podium, partly also that you're about to have a beer and a hamburger, several beers, several hamburgers. But I think if you watch the Tour, the bit when it gets to Paris, you get that same feeling. It's sort of you're happy that the race has got there, but you're sort of sad because it's almost over. Um, I've never been sad this almost over, to be honest, with the Tour. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little sad. I'm not going to be dialing into you and Lou every so often now. But, uh, you know, a break is as good as a rest or whatever they say. But uh, it hasn't been a bad series, though, has it? I think uh, I've given you a lot of stick for being a bit of a, a lazy chairman at times. But, you know, I've got to hand it to you. It does feel like a, a proper club now. It does, doesn't it? We've got our jerseys. We've got all our members on the Zwift rides. We've got people in various positions on the committee. I think we're a proper club. Yeah, quality. And hopefully um, our members should be receiving those jerseys, the ones that's ordered them so far, for just in time for summer. Not only that, G, shortly they could have matching GTCC socks and bidons. How's about that? Cracking. The bidon, <laughs> what is it? Is that another reminder of my Giro 2020? Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Cancel the bidons. <laughs> Always having a little dig, aren't you? Always having a little dig. <laughs> I have also, G, arranged as chairman for our GTCC Zwift Rise to continue over the summer. It's going to be the last Wednesday of every month. So we can all get together. I mean, you may be, well be busy at the Tour de France, but the rest of us can get together, have a little catch up. And they'll be at the usual time of 6pm. If you haven't already, remember to join our Facebook group or follow us at GT Cycling Club on Insta and GTCC underscore on Twitter. That way you can keep up to date with everything over the summer. G's going to be trying to win some races. We might sneak in a bonus episode or two, G, might we? Yeah, I think we've got a few nice little ideas, actually, for some shorter, punchier episodes. Nice. The other strange thing about having done 19 of these is that I've watched your face gradually get thinner and thinner and uh-huh. thinner. Yeah, same with you, mate. All those sessions Thanks on very Swift, much. They're, they're paying <laughs> dividends. Quite literally. Shall we get on with the show? Gee, I've made an executive decision as chairman. The power has gone to my head. I'm taking all the decisions now. But on the basis that you are currently on the island of Tenerife, on top of a still active volcano on a training camp, I thought we should talk about not volcanoes, training. Yeah, that's a good one, for sure. I think uh, there's a lot we can talk about. Good training partners, bad training partners. Uh, I think I've, I've already got a good guest in mind, actually. Excellent, excellent. How has training been? Yes, yeah, tough as ever. The process is hard and 
not necessarily enjoyable all the time, but the outcome generally is pretty good. So, um, yeah, I do like it here. You kind of just, uh, it's proper training camp mentality. You ride your bike hours upon hours. Generally, every training day more or less now is six hours. But when you get back, luckily we have a chef here. We have our food ready for us. We rest, pretty much lie on our beds, don't do much, maybe watch some Netflix, get a massage, have some dinner, go to bed and repeat. Which other teams have been in the hotel? Because the hotel in Tenerife, as discussed in previous podcasts, is inhabited exclusively by elite cyclists. But at the moment, actually, there's speed skaters here, some Dutch speed skaters. Speed skaters? Yeah. So, there's not uh, much ice on top of Mount Tidy, is there? No, but they do, they rollerblade. As I've mentioned previously, you know the cable car, which we've said is a couple of K from the hotel, they pretty much rollerblade up and down there, the same stretch of road. It's got to be pretty boring, but obviously he's at 2,100, 2,200 metres altitude. They ride their bikes as well. They do split days. They might ride their bike for a couple of hours. But yeah, it's definitely a difference in speed skaters, that's for sure, yeah. (laughs) Do they go faster or slower than you on a bike? A lot slower, a lot slower. I'm not sure the training they do, if it's just like sort of steady away or if they actually do efforts and stuff. But yeah, to be honest, I, I don't speak to them. But Dylan Van Baal, uh, a teammate, a Dutch teammate of ours here, he uh, he speaks to him a bit. And so maybe he can, you know, learn something new that we can maybe take on in ours. But split days are one thing I definitely don't enjoy doing, though. We used to do that a lot on the track. A lot of other, other teams here, actually, Trek do it a lot. You always, when we're going out at half nine, they're coming back after their early morning ride. And wow, yeah, I'm just not a fan of that. I don't mind doing it on the turbo, like jump on Zwift for half an hour, but to actually get out on the road and then come back and, yeah, not a fan. No, it's like a night out where you'd go home halfway through, it would just ruin it. (laughs) Although, yeah, I've done that a few times and I've woken up thinking, what the hell am I doing back in my bed? And then you go out and (laughs) meet everyone else again. But, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's for a different pod. Got to admit, you've got me slightly worried now, G, because I set you the task of finding a guest for this week's episode from among your fellow residents at the hotel. I'm now slightly worried that you've got us a speed skater. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming. And I have a new podcast called Alan Cummings Shelves. You see, I have quite a few shelves in my house that are sort of a museum of my life. In each episode, I'm going to take an item off my shelves, tell you why it's there in the first place, then start to talk about my memories of it. And then I chat with a friend who's involved in those memories. I've spoken to Ian McKellen about a hemp bracelet that he bought me on a nudist beach we visited together, Cindy Lauper about a pair of white leather gloves I wore on Broadway, and you even get to hear Jerry Halliwell talk about my Spice Girls lunchbox, and that is not a euphemism. I have some really amazing guests coming on to chat, so I just hope you will join me, and all you have to do to do that is to search for Alan Cummings Shelves, wherever you get your podcasts from. See you soon. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human. They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential, even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely, and it's not 
just any old ad this either, you know, to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod. But I genuinely feel like it does help. Kind of lather it on wherever you want, whatever muscles are working. So, yeah, bang it all over my legs for any hard session or, uh, yeah, time trial. Well, there's studies as well that show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And you can benefit too with 25% off your next purchase using the code GTCC25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Okay, Tom, so it's time to introduce our guest. He's the first Dutch rider that we've had on the GTCC. He's a former teammate of mine, currently riding for Bahrain. He's a good guy, happy guy. His slogan is smiling is for free. So uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Wout Pals. Hey, hello. <laughs> nice thing is, Wout, that you are smiling while we do this. I can see you on the Zoom. That's a lovely grin. So you're backing up what G's just said. I think this was the first time G is so friendly to me, like with all compliments. On the bike, he's always a little bit, uh, yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, Wout's one of those guys, he's great to train with, but sometimes he's just like a radio in the background. He's not as bad as Cameron Worth. No, he's bad. Cam FM, but uh, no, Wout's always good for morale, though. He's always um, pretty positive and joking around in his in his Dutch ways. I think that's a compliment <laughs> g told us the other day when we were talking about training camps in tenerife he said you were the only rival rider that he'll speak to at breakfast i does no one else speaks to you on breakfast no 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 as in another team not not ah, team. oh yeah 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 but we don't see each other now huh? yeah we're lucky because you now. have the apartment and i have to sit down for the first time in my life in the restaurant <laughs> with the normal people yeah, so basically, Tom, we have there's one apartment in the hotel, and we have that, and it has um, a kitchen in there. So we have a chef here, and we just eat, yeah, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in there, so we can stay away from everyone, which is kind of nice, rather than seeing bike riders all the time. But yeah, if I was in the restaurant, Wow is the one I'd say hello and have a little chat with. Yeah, nobody else. Though. Nice. No, what about the, you though? I have the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to pile into all the tough stuff about training, but since we're all being nice to each other, I want to know, Wout, what makes the perfect training partner? Because you're out on your bikes for a long time. What do you do today, G? Six hours? So six hours of bad chat is a very long six hours. So I think I'd be looking for someone who wasn't only a, like a cyclist who uh, was in my, at my level, maybe slightly better, but someone whose chat was right up there as well. Yeah, it's different. It's like today, for instance, was we had efforts, so there's not a lot of chat at all. Even when you're rolling out from the start, everyone's thinking like, "Well, this is a big day," not really talking. Then you do your first effort. You're on your own, obviously. You finish that. You speak to the coach, tell him how hard it was, how tired you are. <laughs> then you roll down and you do it again. Then you ride home. Everyone's a bit tired, hungry, grumpy. <laughs> there was a little argument today. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but ah, oh, please. Uh, Rowan Dennis went went nuts at uh, your countryman Dylan. Oh, really? Yeah, that was quite funny. Um, but we want to know details. Or I want to know details. <laughs> well, basically, Dylan has a reputation. Seeing we're talking about training, actually, you tell tell everyone what Dylan's like. I don't think I need to tell. We all know anyone that's been a teammate of Dylan. What was it like training with Dylan? Dylan Van Bars. 
is real is maybe always a half wheel in front of you <laughs> yeah so yeah. cycling etiquette almost is you know you don't ride half a wheel in front of someone because but you have a few who always do that there's always some people yeah. and they're always trying to push the pace a bit and it's just very antisocial, isn't it and just very really, dutch really annoying very dutch actually no, not yeah. dutch i know more not dutch people i actually maybe a lot of dutch people do that yeah <laughs> but not me <laughs> I don't do it, no? No, you don't, you don't. You I don't. always follow. Yeah, yeah. But So Dylan's one of those guys, you know, he always sort of pushed the pace. Even when you're on an easy ride, he wants to ride half a K an hour quicker than everyone else. And it, it grates on a few people more than others. And it's been grating on Rowan a bit. And then today was the final. So we have three individual efforts and then one team effort at the end. So team effort is sort of to try and half simulate a race, half so you communicate. Maybe not in the way that Rowan did, but, um, <laughs> and then, um, half to like, you know, it's the last effort of the day. So you're tired, you get a bit more out of each other. So you, you can go a bit deeper when you're sort of, you know, with other people, can't you? You kind of race it a bit more. That competitiveness comes out. So anyway, yeah, we were supposed to start the first 5k at a certain amount of watts. Rowan was a bit tired. It was kind of our fault anyway, really. It's like going into a lion's den and petting the lion and getting your hand bitten off and then complaining that the lion's bit your hand. Um, we, let Ro- we let Rowan sort of take charge of the pace, which was never really going to end well. So, he, yeah, he just wanted it to go a bit slower. Dylan always wants to ride top of his own. So Dylan was riding quicker than Rowan kind of wanted. And it just escalated from there, really. And then uh, the final 5K, Rowan yeah sat up and then we continued the effort and and that was that but um there wasn't so much of that when you were in the team was there like no i wouldn't say it's a big argument but just a bit of a i think i never had an argument there must have been a time not with me no you were angry with people though you just didn't say yeah, you, you were a sneaky one yeah but then i just don't speak <laughs> with him anymore <laughs> yeah but it's better no yeah i don't know sometimes it's good to just get it out yeah, true, but I'm never long angry at someone. No, you don't hold a grudge. Just like... Apart from one guy. I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. won't mention his name. <laughs> no. Maybe when you're retired. Yeah. But I think we go a little bit off subject. We were speaking about ideal training partner. Oh, uh, yeah. That, but that's what happens on this pod. Ah. Louise edited it really well, so it sounds like... Ah, know. okay. Ah, so we cut also in things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Just say whatever you want, mate. Okay. What's what's the inside chat about on the best training partner? The ones who've got the best chat or the best manners or they're never in a bad mood? Mm, you know, I quite like to train with G, but he's quite often a bad mood. But I can deal with that. <laughs> no, not bad. <laughs> nah, not bad. He's always a little bit grumpy. Yeah. Yeah, because you're always hungry. Yeah. Or hangry. <laughs> so then after the coffee stop, it's amazing. So before the coffee stop, I'm only chatting, but I quite like it. No, I think a good training partner is like, you know, just easy chat, riding the good pace. And also enjoys riding a bike. Yeah. Someone that doesn't, there's a few people that moan maybe like, oh, we've still got two hours left. Yeah. Or, or like people who always want to change the route. I'm like, it was super easy. If we say, oh, we go to uh, Sospel and then browse and blah, blah, blah. And then you always have people halfway, but, ah, oh, but we also can go left and do this climb. And then I'm always like, yeah, we always... We also can't do that. Just like stick to the plan. <laughs> like keep it easy. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say yeah. If you're going to rank the things, it'd definitely be that etiquette. Halfway line etiquette is number one. Yeah. That you don't do. No. Decent chat is good. 
the thing is I don't like people who talk more than me yeah then it's too much <laughs> the thing is as well though it's like yeah with me if Wout's just chatting away I can just zone out a bit a really? bit like you zone out <laughs> oh big time no yeah. and then like oh halfway God. through the ride then I might say something and Wout was like hey we were talking about this like two hours ago I'd be like oh yeah sorry yeah 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 mm. silly me yeah oh. grumpy G yeah but really I just wasn't listening is it better to talk about cycling or not to talk about cycling? Because you are surrounded by cycling and I'm sure you're thinking about it. So if you're out on a long training ride, would you rather talk about something completely different, like football or rugby or a film you've watched? Or do you've lobbed a few cheeky sort of philosophical questions in the mix sometimes, haven't you? Like riddles. <laughs> yeah, no, I like uh, definitely different chat for sure. That's the problem with riding with guys that don't speak great English. Um you know, a six-hour ride with a South American guy who can't really speak English. And Are they just saying yes or no? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then there's only so many things you can talk about in cycling, like this climb was hard or this race back then. And, like, we all enjoy cycling and we're all fans of it, but oh, you don't want to think about it 24-7. So I do like the odd, like, oh, would you rather be, like, here or, you know, like if you're in the Giro. I remember in the Giro in, like, 2008 I was in Gruppetto with Brad and it was like peeing down and stuff and I was like what are we doing here would you rather be here or would you rather be in like Manchester just doing some rolling 5k's on the track those type of things but I'm not into the type of questions like I don't know would you rather penises for fingers or a finger as a penis you know those <laughs> things are just are just not possible sounds more like a look thing yeah exactly yeah yeah but if it was something like do you want I heard one recently on a podcast I was listening to, like custard on your Sunday roast or gravy on your, you know, sticky toffee pudding or whatever. Interesting. Now, those type of questions I like. Where would you go with that one? I think I'd go custard on a roast dinner. Would you? Because custard's really nice. Yeah, and it's just a bit... I think it'd just go better with your with your meat and your veg rather than gravy on your sticky toffee pudding. I don't know about that one. Do you even know what we're going on about right now? Yeah, only the toffee pudding and the other one, but not the... That word custard, uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. Sorry, really? No, for sure. Alice would have got you. Well, I'm gonna, yeah, maybe I had it before, but I don't know. Oh, okay. The... Alice is Wout's girlfriend, by the way, Tom. She's a British girl, so um, yeah, okay, educating Wout. The weird thing about custard is it's actually quite a hard thing to, to describe. Gee, I would like you to describe custard in the sentence for Wout, please. Oh, jeepers, you put it on a sticky toffee pudding, <laughs> <laughs> an apple crumble, it's yellow. It's kind of sweet. Um, you make it with like egg, sugar and milk, do you? I've never actually made it. Or you get it from a packet and just mix it with the milk. Yeah, exactly. Or a can. <laughs> Can's even easier. But Still have no idea what it is. Maybe you better go on Google and I see it on the... Yeah. Or creme anglaise. Anglais, they call it in France. I also don't speak French. Blamange? Does blamange make sense? No. Well, that's not blamange though, is it? It's not really, but it's the closest I can think of. It's like yeah. runny blancmange, isn't it? Well, blancmange, I haven't had that since I was a kid. I'll have to. I'll bring some to because uh, Wout lives near me, actually. So you can come over for dinner one night. We'll yeah. have blancmange and custard. That would be nice one day. Yeah. Okay. Right. Enough about puddings. I want to find out about the hard stuff in training. So the thing I always wonder because cycling's a tough sport, isn't it? It's not an easy sport. And when you're racing, I can imagine that motivation is really hard to find because the prize is there in front of you. But in training, when the target race might still be weeks or months away and the sessions are really, really hard, how do you keep going through those? That's not so difficult, I think. 
I don't know. I think we have a kind of a mindset that just like every day you go, 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 and you have that goal in your head that you want to reach. Yeah. And then it's pretty uh, easy. Not always. I mean, you always have days that you go on the bike, you're like, Phew. Tough Not, going. Yeah. But yeah, I think as Steve Peters said, Tom, he's gone on about commitment and, and motivation, really. And it's it's exactly that. So guys like me, wow to whoever, you have your goals and you, you're committed to that. You have your plan to do that. So you get out and you do it. And, and motivation, you can be, you can wake up and it, like today, for instance, like you could be, if it's raining outside, like, Phew, got efforts to do and I'm feeling a bit tired here. Not really too bothered. You know, I'd rather just sort of have a bit of an easier day, but you know that that's the plan and if you commit to it that you're going to be the best you can be and that's it basically and um afterwards you have even a better feeling exactly if you didn't look forward and you did the effort uh, oh that reminds me remember when we were here once me oh, you threw me yeah tell, tell tom the story go on if you remember it. yeah I, I don't know exactly why you want to say it, but when it was snowing and then we went out and then threw me stayed in it was snowing up top it was terrible wasn't it oh yeah and me and Walt were like Phew. let's just go out and do it you know we'll do and Tim, I think Tim, we th- Tim liked it there. He yeah, was Tim, proud of us. Tim, the coach, he was proud. Yeah, yeah. he was sat there in the car <laughs> thinking, these boys are going to go far. And we were on the bike and we were like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> like proper snowing. Yeah, like but weirdly, once we were out, we kind of got into it a bit, didn't we? We went pretty far, I think. But then, do you remember? we? So basically, uh, we were in Tenerife. So you can ride about 45 minutes yeah, and then it, like it goes downhill then. So, and we were like, oh, well, if we just go down, we'll wrap up, we'll go down. Then we'll do an effort back. Do you remember? It was like it was like a ninety-minute effort we normally do. So we ended. We were like, "Sorry, let's just go down." So we went down, turned around, and it was actually quite nice at the bottom. Or it wasn't snowing. It, it stopped raining and everything. I think we took all our clothes yeah, we off. Yeah, stripped it was pretty off. Pretty warm. Hmm. Not yeah. totally bollocko, obviously. And then, no, yeah, no topless. <laughs> Away we went. Did the effort. Got to the top. Wrapped up again. Got back to the hotel. Then we maybe even done about four hours. Yeah, yeah. And threw me had done an hour on the turbo, and he saw us walking back, and he was like, "Have you been out all this time, boys?" And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And we did the sap, which is the the name of the effort that we do. And you could see he was like, he was just thinking, and then he was literally. We got a shower, got nice and warm, went to have lunch. Then Tim comes in, he's like, right, all right, see you later. And we're like, oh, where are you going? He's like, oh, Froomey wants to go out and do the same thing now. I think, like, you do get motivation from your teammates as well. So, like like we always say about, you know, um, our club riders in, in GTCC, I think if you're meeting someone or you're going out with people, it makes life a lot easier. Because it's easier to get out then. Like Especially if, on the general days. Yeah. With efforts, I don't mind to go alone. There's a bit of competition help in training as well. The stuff we talked about there is teammates helping you. But I guess if you've got someone who's going slightly better than you or slightly faster than you, your racing brain kicks in as well. I think especially with the team effort, you really push each other to the limit. Oh, for sure. You know, from Villa Floor up till uh, here. That's what we did today. Yeah, Yeah. done already. Yeah. Yeah, definitely like that competitiveness comes out. Like that's, that's the main reason I moved down to south of France, really, with um, the team, because obviously the team had a base there anyway. But then Froomey and Richie Port were two of the best climbers in the world at the time in Sky. So I moved down there and then I was training with them every day. So every climb you're doing, you're not in your comfort zone. You know, I could stay at home and no disrespect to someone like Stannard, but, you know, rising up with Stannard, I'm not really pushing myself. So every day I was training like with two of the best climbers in the world and that, 
that's what really moved me on. Like with every sport, really, I think that competitiveness in the team is really is good to a point. It's just when it becomes, well, over-competitive, I guess. But Yeah, if you're going to race every day, like, do the limit, that's also not Yeah, the, like, that's another thing with bad training. Well, not bad trainers, but some guys, like, for instance, today we did three individual efforts, one team effort. Some guys soft tap the the individual efforts, save oh, themselves for the team. I, kn- I know a few. Yeah. I won't call names. Yeah, I don't know. They're only cheating themselves, Tom, because we all know it. The coach knows it. Like, you're not going to just get selected for a big race because you've done well in a team effort. Although some coaches do get carried away sometimes with numbers and stuff, don't they? But that's a different pod. Yeah. Oh, you had the last time, no? Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, coaching with Rod Ellenworth, very good. This is better though, eh? I this way more better. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think that, that will tie in with how uh, a lot of amateur riders feel because there's always someone in every club who either wins the warm-up or just hold something back. Let's say you're doing five efforts, who on efforts three and four just disappears in the wheels. And then suddenly effort five, hello, fresh as a daisy, trying to win the final effort. Yeah. But, but I think if I become one day an amateur, I also would do, I would say for the last one, no? Because <laughs> then you come home on a Sunday afternoon with a good feeling. Take yeah. A, take yeah. a pint afterwards, <laughs> no? Uh, Although I can't imagine doing efforts if I wasn't professional. No, me neither, but. Yeah, maybe, yeah, but maybe you're going to miss it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you were speaking that after cycling, you want to do a triathlon or something. Oh yeah, Ironman all the way. Oh, sure. Ironman. Yeah. Then I will do an effort on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I will be doing efforts, won't I? Actually, yeah. You'll be doing three different sorts of efforts. You'll be doing efforts in the pool, efforts on the track, and efforts on the bike. Yeah, yeah. I might regret that, but you can. You need to go though. You know, like this is going off topic a bit, but you know, I've been professional for 15 years now. And then, you know, two years under 23, two years junior, even in those years, you've got goals and ambitions and, you know, junior worlds or this or that race. And to suddenly, once you retire, then not have any thing you're working towards, like, that'll just be like weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, but, but what are you going to do after that then? After that trial one thing, well, uh, Iron Man or... Feels like Wout's getting your head here, G. Sounds like he's just trying to mess with no, you. I'm just uh, also <laughs> yeah. uh, for myself. I'm just. Well, uh, he's a rival team now, isn't he? So he's sort of like he's, he's killing your head. Yeah, he's trying to. I know you're still looking good. Oh, thanks, man. So yesterday in the hall. Yeah. When you ignored me? No, joking. <laughs> <laughs> looking sharp. Oh, you don't look bad yourself either. Hmm? Huh? What? This is some bromance, isn't it, Tom? It's nice, particularly because because you're both recording from a single microphone. Your nose is almost touching anyway. There's an intimacy to this conversation we haven't had on previous pods. <laughs> and with the old uh, headphones, it's like uh, that scene out of, what was it? With the dogs, with the spaghetti? I don't know. <laughs> Just no, we one. need a dogs and spaghetti. Sounds <laughs> There's two dogs <laughs> eating spaghetti and Lady and the Tramp, that's the one. See? It's a bit like Lady and the Tramp, isn't it? Which one's the lady, which one's the tramp? He's the tramp. What is a tramp? I am not Donald <laughs> Trump. Tramp, with it's an like A. Tramp, oh. Uh... Well, the the tramp was like a homeless stray dog type thing, wasn't it? It's yeah, been vagrant. so long since I've watched it. And then the lady was, I'm guessing it was like a posh sort of poodle dog, no? It's amazing where you go on this podcast, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, I learned so many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the first things I was ever told about you by Geraint was that you had an amazing ability to swear in English. Now, obviously, this is a family pod, so we <laughs> won't play these swear words out I think maybe producer Louise could put the sound of a maybe of a bicycle bell over the top of these but just give me 
the sound of your three best swear words in English. And I promise this won't actually go out on air. The thing was, at one point someone in the team sent me a whole list of swearing words. I don't know why. Who was it? Yeah, I can't remember. I think someone in the office, actually. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a word, balland. That's a good one, no? Yeah, that's one of Wout's favorites. Yeah, balland. I call everyone a balland. Yeah. <laughs> that's not so bad, though. But well, it's um, like a, It was a little bit of a compliment. If I didn't call you a balland, then you were not part of it. <laughs> My niece, who's two and a half, started calling people balands. Because she heard it, I had to say it. <laughs> That's quite funny. But um, no, the worst with Wout, though, is, you know, the very, the worst word you can say in English, beginning with a C. Yeah, yeah. So... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can't say that. Oh, we if have to beep that. We can bell. beep that, no? <laughs> that's the one. Um, yeah, but I think that's because of... Uh... Richie. Yeah. Yeah, Richie says that a fair amount. Like, not in an aggressive way, not that that makes up for it, but, you know... So Wout was with uh, my parents-in-law. We were just, I don't know oh, no. what we were doing. And he, he, he said it about three or four times. I was like, wow, you can't keep saying that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I remember, I think we were watching the rugby. Ah, yeah, we and were. And yeah. he was all of them doing this on my leg when they, I don't know, I don't understand that game anyway. And he was so excited all the time. And he was all the time with his hand on my, on my leg, like, bam. And I was like, you're little... <laughs> That's wow. you dropped the you dropped the C bomb in front of Ave and uh, and Beth. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I didn't mind. No, nah, they they understood it was his second language. Yeah, exactly. I can't get away with that all the time. That's the only thing as well. When you're in airports and stuff, and you're with foreigners who just swear in English, just because yeah, they don't really think about it too much. And then you sat there, and you're a bit like, boys, it's like quite a lot of like people around here, like you know, kids and. Well, just people. Yeah, but the thing is, you guys all the time do it like, like in the room and, you know, like in a sort of a closed environment. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. we have to learn all these new words. And, in public. Yeah, yeah, and then you think it's normal to use that. <laughs> That's another thing with training. You, you speak a lot louder, don't you? Because you've obviously got the wind and stuff. So it must be weird, like, if you're just a pedestrian and you see a group of riders coming towards you, oh, can you hear us? Wow, like... <laughs> Dropping sea bombs and yeah, effing <laughs> and blinding, effing and blinding. Yeah, like it feels like this has been a, a real education so far, not only for me and in, in the ways of training, but also for Wow in the English language. Yeah, effing <laughs> yeah. and blinding. You can have that one. Yeah, when you swear a lot, hmm. it's just a saying. Ah, don't even know the origins. But. <laughs> so you use words like really bad words, and you don't even know what it means. Oh, blind is not a bad word. Ah. It's just like when, you, when you're when swearing a lot. Ah, okay. Mm. It's like well, I, almost, I almost never swear. In Dutch, maybe. No. Yeah, well, you've, 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 already, you've already used one particularly strong word on this podcast. I'm not sure I believe Yeah, you. because you, you two put the words in my mouth that I screamed at <laughs> and then that you guys can sell this better. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this. We've gone slightly off topic here, which has been fun, but I do want to talk a bit more about training. Are there certain riders who are great trainers but terrible racers oh, and yes. then do you get do you get terrible trainers who are great racers if that makes sense uh, you always have riders at the beginning of the training camp you know like in january yeah. they are flying around and you're like mamma mia they're mm. gonna smash it this year and then the first race they're good and then they're off yeah 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 and even guys who are all year round that just yeah exactly that really good trainers good numbers and stuff they get to a race and you know, whether it's the pressure of the race or... But you know, a race is also not training, eh? No, exactly, yeah. Like, 
so many more things that you need to do, like position. What about on your team now? Who's an example of that? <laughs> For as a really good uh, trainer, but not so good racer. Yeah, I can't say names. Oh, okay, that's disappointing. No, we were doing that trick again with the swearing words. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, a good example of not a great trainer who doesn't do huge numbers but races well is Mark Cavendish, obviously. Oh, you said it in the last podcast also. Did we? Yeah, because I listened to that one. Ah. I listen to all of them. I love them. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, because there are guys that sort of, me as well, like I think, and you, like a lot of guys up the game when it comes to a race... Um, and then you can do that little step ex- extra. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. once you've got oh, a you number do on good your numbers back, and training. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, with to someone else like say Swifty Ben Swift, he's not so good with the old numbers and stuff. Someone like Tim Kerrison could just look at his power files and be like, "Nah, not a lot going on there." But then, you know, races really, really well. Adam Blythe, who's retired now, but he was another one. He could just like find his way, move around the bunch really well, and stay out of the wind and save his legs really well. And then other guys, Stannard, for instance, he, he raced really well, but he was always strong. So he never learned how to do that, the ducking and diving. You know, he never had to, so he never really learned that as well as those guys, really. But yeah, I'd say in this team, there's definitely a few guys that would rather sort of, if there's a race coming up, they're like, oh, well, if I do that, I'll miss like a few days training. You know, so I'd rather just miss that race and have a good training block and then do this and that. And that's a bit weird sometimes, I find. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, well, you're not naming names, so neither am I. <laughs> Fair play. I can see how someone would get caught up in the training numbers, though, because you do have to give so much feedback all the time to your coaches, don't you? You've got your power meters and cycling is, is more calibrated than most other sports. It's it's a sort of benign feedback system, isn't it? If you produce the numbers that your coach wants, you'd feel good and you could maybe forget that the numbers are actually just there to get you somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to get wrapped up in the numbers. Like it's easy like today, for instance, if I was supposed to do I'll make myself self make myself sound good now. So I was supposed to do five hundred and fifty watts for ten minutes. And uh <laughs> <laughs> and I did five forty, I'd be like, Oh, that was terrible. Like I was ten watts off what I was supposed to get. And then people sort of get wrapped up in all that and like every session like they're trying to do a pb and it's it's not possible how how especially when you're like a professional how can you go out every day and do a pb uh for a certain thing you just can't can you so people do get wrapped up in that i think road racing road cycling is a lot less intense with that than track cycling because track the numbers are just they don't lie you know in a team pursuit for instance if you drop the speed by point one of a second for your lap that stands out like sore thumb so then those numbers really do matter a lot more and that's how you are selected or not whereas in road racing obviously the numbers basically show how fit you are you know compared to your you you can have your power curve so I'm sure a lot of people upload their training files and stuff you can basically have a a curve of all your PBs and um, so from 10 seconds a minute all the way down to the sort of like three hours or whatever and the closer you are to that curve obviously the the better shape you're in and, and that's where and then you use that to then go and race on the road whereas on the track I think it's um, different a lot more intense on the track for sure if that makes any sense 
It does, it does. And I guess, wow, as well, there must be a certain mental strength that you need because you are going to have bad days in training or days where you're not perfect. Maybe it's a physiological thing, maybe you're feeling a little bit under the weather or it's just the magic isn't there that day. And I guess you have to be mentally strong not to panic on those days. I think, you know, like if we have bad days, sometimes it's also good to have because then it also makes you more motivated for the for the other day for training again and also like in a race you also can have a bad day and especially in a grand tour your grand tour is good as your bad day is mm. like especially if you yeah want to do a gc so so it's also good to know on a bad day where you still sort of can do to suffer and go to the finish line that makes sense actually so so what you're saying is if you're having say a seven out of ten day you've got to hold it at a seven and out of 10 day rather than letting it drop to a three out of 10 day because if yeah. you were a gc contender that would blow it off or you try to to make it uh you're like oh if i can make my worst day better like you go from a seven to an eight it's also already an improvement yeah i think in a race it's easier to do that i think in training it's hard when for instance if you're generally if you're better climber than somebody else and then in an effort state they're going better than you. That can be quite hard to take, no? Yeah, true. I mean, I, also, I remember the ones I'm here, I think an effort of like 40 minutes or something. And then I also like exploded after 20 minutes. Yeah, then you can't finish that <laughs> anyway. But but in a race you have to go, but in training mm. then you can say like, oh yeah. Yeah. But uh, I remember one day here actually. Um, it was like really warm. Yeah. But, and there was one day, the start of a camp and you felt terrible and you were like, oh Tim, no, I'm not going to do any more efforts ah, yeah. today and tim looked at looked at wow like uh you know just really disappointed but fair play you stuck to your guns you didn't do any I more am. efforts and then by the end of the camp wow was good and a few other guys were like sort of dropping off and not as good and then tim's like oh yeah it's good good job you had that easy day like at the start of the camp yeah yeah, yeah. you gotta know your body as well and be confident with that ah you really have to listen to your body you no know? if you have like if you really feel you can do what you need to do that day sometimes better to take a day off or easy i know that you do that once a week but mm -hmm. yeah there's a time and a place for it in there sometimes yeah. you push through yeah sometimes you like really have to dig in and then other times if you're close to a race or whatever you know it's time to really sort of mm -hmm. back off and not overdo it remember you got altitude sickness here once oh, as well, that was my you? first uh altitude camp i told it to the boys i don't know a few days ago oh i was so sick Tim's still adamant that it wasn't uh, altitude sickness. It's but, just well being soft. That's what he said. No, I had all, quote, the, quote. I had all <laughs> the symptoms of altitude sickness. Because I remember, I think two o'clock in the night, I called Tim to check my temperature and everything because I was sweating. And I think I was even speaking to myself like horrible, like <laughs> shaking. And We've had that a few times. I remember Zabi Zandio, who's now a DS with, with this team. It was the first time I came here in 2011 and he was the same. And we went down to the to sea level to do a test because then we were going to do a test up here to see the difference because it was our first time doing altitude. And we got down and he was just like hunched over the car. Like he was like yellow. He was like, mm. like he'd come straight out of the Simpsons and he was just like terrible. And then he, they drove him back up and he spent, I think it was two days just in his room, brought him food in his room and he just didn't get out of bed. Well, I had the yeah. same, but then I remember the uh, Nathan brought me down, the physio. Yeah. And I remember like every 100 meters I went more down, I felt a little bit better. And then I came in the hotel, I didn't feel great then. But, you know, uh, like I had appetite again and 
Huh. Memo went for an ice cream then. So happy I was down. That's that's another thing. Training camps here have changed a lot. Like when we started in 2011, we used to go on a rest day. We'd go down to the beach and have a pizza. I know. Yeah, you know, all the lads, like, well, not all the lads, but you could see people going into Lineker's bar. Yeah, phew, not a chance we do that now. I never went down for a pizza. Mm. That's sad. Yeah, times have changed. You just had ice cream, though, when you claimed you were sick. No, I was sick, but you know, when you get hungry again. Soft, mate. Soft. <laughs> now, I like my ice cream, then. Should we do some listeners' questions? Because this is the section of the of the show where we always give out a few tips to GTCC members. And we've had some really good questions in for you two um, on the subject of training. Here's one from Carl, Gary and Nicola. Now, they all, all want to know about rest days. They're aged between 53 and 65. And their question is, should you plan your rest days and how many should you have? Rest to be the best, sometimes. Ah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I think... I can get on board with that. Seeing the... How old did you say? 53 to 65? Yeah. Yeah, no, they're still, you know, young and fit and can deal with it a lot. So, yeah, I think it's always good when you have a good hard session, you can have a rest day then, can't you? It depends on your goals and, and, and everything, doesn't it? How many rest days you have. But and also if you have a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big I mean, thing if is... you work like five days a week and you train... Yeah, like most people, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's pretty tough going. But with resting as well, I think that's key to training almost because that's where you... Your muscles adapt and, you know, mend. Yeah, so if you're out and about on a rest day, that's why I like being on training camp so good because on a rest day, especially in Tenerife, there is nothing to do. Or nothing to do. Other yeah. than podcasts. Yeah. This, um, this is the highlight of the day for me today. Really, <laughs> yeah. I was like looking at my watch all the time. What do you mean of the day? You've been on to me for months about coming on. Yeah, but you cancel all the time. Highlight of the year. So Yeah, far. no, but I mean, we. I think we're planning already this for two months. Yeah, that's true. Are you yeah. all the time busy man mate working yeah, busy, out busy busy then the internet was bad then uh microphone <laughs> was not working then uh but yeah no rest rest is is, is key and all part of it really that you rest properly because yeah. um yeah like if you're out and about walking or this is for professional athletes obviously because we are professionals because <laughs> yeah. normal people like yeah you can't just like put your feet up and just get cooked for and have a massage can you but yeah, rest is just... That's what Shane Sutton used to say, actually. You can't overtrain, you can just under-rest. Nice. But your rest days are never rest days as the rest of us would have rest days, are they? Like, let's say it's a rest day at the tour. For most people, a rest day involves beer, maybe a nice meal, uh, might be a DVD, something like that. Your rest day involves quite a long bike ride. Yeah, I like to ride on a rest day because I feel terrible after just a day off. How long do you do then? Only hour and a half. Yeah, that's not really long. Oh, no, I didn't say it was long. Tom said it was long. Oh. <laughs> but the old Tom. <laughs> yeah, it's not long. long. It's a decent ride one, for the one rest half, of us. That's not long. I also do like one, one and a half, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like a complete day off for me, every ride is different, obviously. But for me, I just feel like the next day then, like your body just like overcompensates almost on a day off and you, you feel bloated and, yeah, it takes you like almost like three hours to just sort of get going again, which is, which sounds ridiculous. But but do you also have that, like, for example, sometimes, you know, you go really late on your rest day, but then the whole day you feel like, mm, like... What do you mean go late? Yeah, for for your easy ride. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can't... And then, I, and then you go, and then after you come back at the shower, you feel way more better. Oh, yeah, for sure doing a bit of something helps. But that's another thing with training, Tom. I, 
I really struggle to get out after midday. If I don't get out... Oh, after oh. 12? No way. Yeah. No, just because... Unless you've done something, like if you're just mooching around the house and, you know, playing with Max or having something to eat and then, oh, by the time it gets to 12, I like, struggle yeah, to then, get out. Then, then it's too late. Yeah. Here's a nice question from Corey. Corey says, how do you train in a headwind without screaming profanities and looking like a psycho? <laughs> what? Screaming what? Profanities. Oh, we go. Effing and blinding. Ah. There's another one for you. Hmm. Uh... You just got to do it, haven't you? Otherwise, you either get home or you don't. So, yeah, or you just turn around and go further away from home. Tailwind, and then you go two hours and take the train back. <laughs> <laughs> or do that, yeah. Hopefully, you got Apple Pay on your phone. <laughs> nice. Here's a question from Charlie. This is quite a nice one. He says, "Do many pros do uh, leg gym sessions in the racing season? Does squatting help with power?" And there's a sort of an associated question here from Mick who wants to know, and I know what he means here, how you fit in strength and conditioning while you're also meant to be out on the bike. Well, you needed to stop doing your gym work because you're getting too big, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, my arms were like... Yeah, his arms and legs You have massive. got very big massive. arms, well, yeah. Yeah, so the, these, my breadsticks... Uh, DJ breadsticks. Yeah, had to stop <laughs> with that one. I think you also don't go to the gym. No, I, I always used to say I'd rather just do an hour on the bike than an hour in the gym. Extra hour. But I think with sprinters, for example, today we had the uh, rest day and then Sonny Cobrelli went to the gym. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, a lot more gym workers come into it, like team pursuers now do a lot of gym, although Ed Clancy doesn't, the rest do. But you do the, in the gym then when no. you're on the track? No, we just did like you over You're not like a gym, huh? Nah, I'm not the biggest fan. No. Just because, I don't know, like core, like, you know, some people do activation and stuff in the morning. Only I like to do stuff that I know is definitely benefiting me and for a reason. So if I have a bit of a, a sore back or a weak point, like my hip or whatever, once it's, once I've fractured it or pelvis, whatever, then I'll do the stuff. But I'm not a fan of just going down, doing a load of you know stretches and stuff with the guys just for the sake of it. Here's a nice one from Paul James. It's slightly sort of philosophical question. He says, "Is it more about the effort you put in on rides?" Or the time spent on the bike? I think it's a combination. Yeah, again, it's, it's all what you're training for, isn't it? Yeah. I think civilians obviously have little time, less time than we do. So I think, yeah, there's no beating a good jump on the turbo, you know, do a, a race on Zwift for an hour yeah. or uh, some efforts and stuff. And um, yeah, that, that that that's a lot more beneficial than maybe just plodding along for for an hour of an evening and then when you're on the weekend then you have a bit more time go out and do three hours with a nice coffee stop with the lads and girls sounds good this is a sort of associated question this one comes from Chris Chris wants to know does is this a Chris Froome or this is Chris <laughs> yeah Chris Froome probably of Monaco <laughs> Chris Froome of Monaco would like to know does just going out on the bike count as training mm. you're thinking about jump mileage here aren't you in that sometimes just sitting there and pedaling is not as good as resting? Yeah, like a general day, but you still Would have a recovery to... ride be training for you? So you do an hour? It's part of, of the training. Yeah, I don't know. Like, for instance, after the tour, I went out on the bike with Ave, my father-in-law, and George North, the winger or centre for Wales. And, uh, yeah, we rode to Cowbridge and the calf was shut. And we are like, oh, what were you going to do? And we are like, well, just go to the pub. Went to the pub, had a few pints, rode home. That's not training, is it? 
Oh, remember the day that we in Menton with your friend? Oh, that was great. That was a good day. I yeah. think this is the best ride we have ever yeah, had, actually. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell them? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we were just going on a bike, training with two of your friends. Yeah, basically two of my uh, good friends from back home, Dale Appleby and Rob Partridge, came out to stay it with was us. Was Rob the one who had to... Uh, in the evening <laughs> yeah he threw up yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had a good night out and uh, they used to be bike no, riders we, first we went on the bike and then we went out ah okay because yeah, it was already yeah. at a little bit the end of the season mm. and then you I think you made a really big loop for them and they were not fit <laughs> yeah so like I said and say, then you said I want to punish them or something I don't know <laughs> yeah they used to be bike riders but so I was like oh yeah we'll do like two and a half hours it was like a three and a half hour loop and there was quite two decent climbs. And then we dropped down into Menton, which is like was, 20 minutes from home. It was super home. warm also. Yeah, super warm. They were suffering, actually. <laughs> they were really <laughs> bad. And that made us feel good. That's another thing. Training with guys that are not as good as you is always nice for oh, morale. Super feeling. Then we dropped down to this town, stopped for like a nice sandwich or something. And we had about three Aperol spritz and, oh, yeah. and a beer. And then it went wrong. <laughs> And then we were riding home along the beach. And then we were looking out at the sea. We're like, oh, that would be nice. Should we just go for a little dip? So we parked our bikes up, stripped down into our shorts, obviously. Then went for a swim. And then... Uh, but the thing is also, like, I never stopped there for a swim. Oh, no, no. So you have to imagine, we every day in the summer, we pass, like, the beach. And, yeah, then you go for five, six hours, like, super warm then, sweating, and everyone... Uh, Dead jealous it. of everyone having a good time on yeah. the beach, drinking cocktails. Yeah. And then it was so nice to stop one time and just jump in the water mm. so then we had a little dip rode back rode back home and then on the way home we were like oh should we get an ice cream as well so we got that ice cream then we got home and then just carried on drinking went out and had a great night out so that was a great day yeah but that wasn't training was it no, that's not classed as training they were just having fun it was for Rob and Dale but yeah it was a little bit shame that we had to ride a bike yeah should have gone straight away to the beach <laughs> yeah oh yeah well, cheers. Thanks for coming. Well, I'm not sure how much training we actually talked, but... Uh, Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, more. No effing and blinding next time. No, no effing and uh, blinding. Mm. No profanities. Sweet. No, also not that word. Mm. And custard when we get home. Yeah. Yeah. Ciao. See you. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, so this is part of the pod where you fill us in on your Zwifting, but... Gotta say, you've been absent for a few weeks. Something about piles? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to clear a few things up at this point in the pod, G. So in my absence uh, from Zwift, from our weekly club rides, which is due to something else, um, you pulled a few favours and so Chris Hoy took my place, which is a decent substitute for my abilities. It appears that Sir Chris Hoy told everyone else on the ride that the reason for my absence was... Piles. So I would like to make it quite clear at this point that Sir Chris Hoy, one of the greatest Olympians ever, is not familiar with my arse. <laughs> yeah, just off the back of that, though, need to say a massive thanks to Chris for, for stepping up and doing that, along with Laura Kenny. Well, they led a great ride by all sounds. I think they enjoyed it more than me and you, Tom. And we've also had some club members lead the rides too, which went down really well. So got to say a big shout out to Chris Gams, Steve Gabriel and Anne Kitchen, who I co-led a ride with. So massive thanks, guys. Yeah, definitely. That was a really nice touch. Um, we will be looking for more of you to do this over the summer. So please do get in touch if you fancy giving it a go. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, or you can email us at gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk. 
Right, Tom, let's finish today's episode of Any Other Business. Yeah, G, our first appointment today is for an official GTCC statistician. Benjamin Money got in touch to say, I've been thinking whether there is anything I could possibly add to the GTCC. Avid listener, Wednesday group rider, and what I think you need is a stat man. My occupation is in the field of analytics, not sport-focused, but it's an area I'd love to get into, so I see this as my in, even if it's just a title I can claim. I don't know, what should we give him, G? Maybe our Zwift data? Do some nice graphs and bar charts? Pie charts? Nice. I like a few stats as well, because we can always bend them to make ourselves look better, you know? (laughs) Benjamin, if you are happy to juke the stats to make us look better, you're in. Yep, Benjamin, you're in. Nice. A few weeks ago, we also asked our members to get in touch if they wanted to be part of our official GTCC Team Pursuit Squad. Matt Haldeman has thrown his hat into the ring and says he's a lifelong trackie. And Noah Adelson, who is a 16-year-old cyclist from Florida, would love to be a lead-out person for the club. Noah says, I'm big enough to push watts. My six-foot-two height provides a good draft. I've done several time trials and my running background has built up a decent aerobic engine. Aside from all that, all I can offer is blind enthusiasm with only nine months of racing experience. What do we think, G? Quality, I reckon both are in. Yeah, I like the sound of a big lead out, man. Can't fault it. Perfect. Okay. And as next week is the final episode of series one, remember, that means, work it out, one week left to get your applications in to be on the GTCC committee. Get them in, guys. So let's finish with some shout-outs then. Nice, yeah. The first one is to Ian Killick, who sent us some pics of a photo book he's made of all his Zwift rides in 2020. So it's basically his yearbook on Zwift. And from what I can see, he's managed to ride with you, Geraint, with Chris Froome, with Chris Hoy and Sarah Story. Sweet. And also Michael Levine wants a shout-out for Spoke CC Calf. In Cody Cart, Hertfordshire. It's the best cycling calf in the whole Hertfordshire, he says. Paul Stobbs, remember Paul Stobbs, our club archivist? He's got another book to recommend for the month of May. He wants us to read Free Country by George Mahood, which apparently tells the story of two blokes who cycle a thousand miles from Land's End, leaving in just their Union Jack boxer shorts. Not your traditional cycling book, but an amusing read, he says. Yeah, that does sound different. I hope they had padded boxers otherwise that is impressive that. isn't it thousand miles they're quite airy aren't they boxer shorts as well <laughs> yeah so if they did it in summer can you imagine doing that in like january <laughs> anyway what about for our listeners tom if they uh want to listen to any other pods any recommendations for them yeah a proper deep dive of a podcast this week g crowd network have just launched a new series called unaccountable i'd urge everyone to go and listen to it It's a podcast all about police reform in America and trying to hold police accountable for their actions. It's hosted by Aloe Black and Ben Cohen, and each episode tells the story of an American citizen whose rights have been violated by the police, along with celebrity guests who are also fighting for change. Go and search for Unaccountable in all your usual podcast places. See you next time. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to our new Team Pursuit members, Benjamin Money and Noah Adelson, to our head of social media, Fionn Clark, our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker, and our honorary president, Mike Carr. And of course, most of all, to you, 
for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>